Good morning, Rooted Church. This, my name is Pastor Gary. It's good to see you guys. Also, I just want to welcome friends that are chiming in from different parts of the United States. Humble that you would. So join us in this way. I just want to thank you guys for logging on and engaging with what God is doing through his word and through his people, virtually, spiritually, and is glad um, for modern technology and that we can find and be in a safe place today. And so I just want to give you a little bit of update as a church we're wrestling through on when to open and how to open. So please pray for us. Um, we're looking at purchasing some technology to upgrade and do simulcasts at Pure Life and then at in your respective homes at the same time. So we're learning and getting around this curve and above this curve. Anyways, let's jump in and let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to all of us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your son, who is the living word. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us individually and collectively. Help me to speak your words truthfully, accurately, with clarity. That even might be a banquet, a feast to our soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to start with an Old Testament quote this morning. It's a little bit different, but I think it'll serve us well. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, the prophet Isaiah states a fact of the reality of human beings. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Bible is so true. This passage is so true. All of mankind are like sheep. We have gone astray. We have gone our own way. We have turned from God. We have turned from the great shepherd in rebellion and sin. If we have ever studied sheep or if you ever had sheep, I mean, we live in North Carolina, but I have seen sheep in our area. I've been to Israel and I've observed sheep. And if you know a little about sheep, they're not wise. Um, in fact, sheep are known to be dumb. This is not the most flattering thing to be called dumb, but the Bible calls us like sheep that wander. And so... <clears throat> sheep are also known to walk in a danger. They're also known to even walk off a cliff or mountainside to the very own death. And so, in the same way as human beings, we turn to sin. When we fall into worldly pleasures or desire power or popularity to satisfy or amuse us. So mankind, we lack a shepherd. We are lost without a shepherd. Thus, there's a struggle, a struggle in sin and a struggle with doubting God and his goodness and a struggle to embrace the great shepherd himself. And so this morning, I want you to see and experience and encounter the satisfying shepherd from Psalm 23 so that we can entrust ourselves to him with our very lives when we face death and also with our future eternity. And so we're going to look at 
three E's this morning. The first one is to entrust or entrust the satisf satisfying shepherd in this life. And then we are to embrace the satisfying shepherd when facing death. And then thirdly, the third E, enjoy the satisfying shepherd eternally. Many consider Psalm 23 the diamond, the great big diamond of all the Psalms, out of all 150 Psalms. This one Psalm of six verses stands out like no other. Many believe and agree that the author of this Psalm is, is David, but there's debates as to when he wrote it. Was he a young man? Was he an older man? Was he facing death? And we don't know for sure, but I have some ideas as you as we look through and walk through the psalm. So the first E I want you us to look at and wrap our minds and hearts around is the fact that God invites us and that God calls us to entrust the satisfying Savior or the satisfying Shepherd in this life. This is found in the first three verses of Psalm 23. Sheep were a commonplace in Israel. Um, they're also common today. I'm sure David was very familiar with sheep, given that he was a shepherd, and he was keenly aware of the shepherd and sheep relationship. And I believe as David is reflecting on his life and reflecting on his relationship with the Lord, he understands at this point in his life that there is an importance to have a satisfying shepherd and sheep spiritual relationship. We see this in Psalm 23, verse 1a. David makes a profound and radical statement of relationship. He literally says, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't know if we go around and normally think that way. The Lord God. So, just want to give you a little bit of understanding. Last week we looked at Psalm 19 and we saw the God who created the heavens and earth. More of a cosmic, powerful, universal God. The El Holim. Here, David uses a different term for God. He uses the word Lord in all caps. And this speaks of Je Jehovah, personal God, a covenantal God. The Lord who signifies himself as the God who was, who is, and is to come. He's the eternal God. The Lord who would eventually become flesh in Jesus Christ. The Lord who is the I Am. And typically in the Old Testament, the Lord was often referenced to a larger community. But David makes a radical change by using a personal pronoun, my, to describe the Lord as my personal intimate, close shepherd. And so, David describes himself and his relationship with the Lord as his shepherd, his personal shepherd. A shepherd <coughs> in this picture is a, a devoted relationship where the shepherd wants to be involved and wants to nurture and care for his sheep. Whereas a king seeks to do what's best for the majority. The Lord's relationship is more personal. In the parable of the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15 verse 4, it says here, What man of you, 
having a hundred sheep, if you lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it. The heart of the shepherd is to tend and to care and to reach out to every single one to the point that they're reached and they're found. This morning, I have a special opportunity to hear about how God did amazing work to rescue one of his sheep recently. I want to call up my very own daughter, Phoebe Lee. Phoebe, come into the camera and look. Phoebe, what happened about a little over a week ago as we think about shepherds and sheep? Um, about a week ago, Jesus became my shepherd. Um, for my whole life, I had known about the shepherd, but not until about a week ago had I decided to trust him for myself. Um, I had been following Team Phoebe and trying to, um, like, save myself or find happiness and just different things that were not Jesus. And um, Dad walked me through some various verses, and it showed me that I really needed Jesus to be my Savior and Shepherd, so I prayed to be on Team Jesus. Amen, Phoebe. It's so neat um, to see this miracle performed in your life. Your mom and I have prayed for you for many years in agony and wrestling through this. And it's one thing to know you as my daughter, but now I also know you as my sister in Christ. And I think that's really cool. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyways, we look forward to hearing more about this and the details, but we just give thanks to God's miracle in your life. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Dad. All right. See you later, fees. So this is this one very personal and close picture of how the Lord um, rescues the one, um, even after 18 years. And the Lord is relentless in his love. He, he, he may reach out to you or others, maybe you're 40, you're 50, you're 60, you're 80, maybe in the closing days and hours of your life. So why do we need a shepherd? We saw that a little bit earlier in, in Isaiah 53. Um, the main reason is that we are born rebels. We, we not, we're not inclined to live for the shepherd. Our minds and hearts are prone to wander. And so well, <clears throat> there's a need for a shepherd. We need someone to rely on, to, to be our, our provision, to be our help in time of need, to practice <clears throat> to, to protect us. And so, <clears throat> if we don't go to the Lord, we'll continue to drift away. We'll continue to look for, toward the things of this world to satisfy us. And I believe that the, as the shepherd, the Lord himself wants to literally satisfy himself with a relationship. No, not himself. He wants to find, he wants us to find our satisfaction in him, in a relationship with him. He doesn't want us to run all over the place finding artificial ways of satisfying ourselves. And so we know that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. We know that he, Jesus Christ, lived 
died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and three days later he rose again and conquered death so that we might have a relationship with him, so that we might be atoned of our sins, so that we might be satisfied in and through the Savior himself. I'm so glad that in God's kindness, even when we're in rebellion and defiance against God in our hell-bound race, when we're lost and blinded and confused and desperately need of a Savior and a shepherd, we know that in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says here, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He is the true shepherd that lays down his life and seeks and saves the lost. And I'm so thankful at Friday morning at 2 a.m., that he sought my daughter and brought him into the fold. And now she is found when she was once lost. So my question for you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, and, and if you're lost, and you've gone your own way, I encourage you to come to him, to turn to the Savior, and understand that this world will not ultimately satisfy you. That your ultimate satisfaction can be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if this is you, come to him. Say, I want to follow you. Say, I recognize this way I've been going won't work. And turn to him and believe in him as your Savior and Shepherd. As we move on into the latter part of verse 1 and verse 2, we see this the specifics of how the Lord God wants to shepherd us. And so we see that the satisfying shepherd literally shares his life with us. David says, because of his relationship with the shepherd, he says, I shall not want. David understands that he shall not lack because he understands that the Lord is his provision, is his satisfaction, is his joy in his life, is the one that makes him, in one sense, complete in Christ, not lacking anything spiritually. And also knowing that the Lord gives everything pertaining to life and godliness. And then in verse 2 and 3, we see all the things that the Lord satisfies us with, so that we shall not want. In verse in, in Psalm 23, verse 2a, it says that the Lord satisfies us with refreshment. This is what the shepherd, how the shepherd satisfies us. So David has experienced a satisfying relationship with the Lord in Psalm 23, verse 2a. It says here, He makes me lie down in green pastures. This refers to tender grass, a place of nourishment and refreshment where we as a sheep can go to the Lord and enjoy nourishment from Him and to be satisfied at the depth of of our soul. The shepherd satisfies us with also rest. David enjoys his satisfaction from the satisfying shepherd in Psalm 23 verse 2b. He says here, he leads me by still waters. Literally, waters of stillness. Where the, the water invites an aspect of, of rest in contrast 
to different types of water you'll see in Israel, you'll see some water streams that are flowing really hard. And that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about still water, to be able to be still with the shepherd, to understand and experience his grace, his goodness. And there's other waters in Israel that are stagnant, pools of water, or even a big sea known as the Dead Sea, where the Jordan ends up at the very south part of Israel, and the water is a little bit stinky. Things have been piling up in that area for hundreds, if not thousands of years. It's dirty. There's a lot of sweat in there, and it's kind of like oily salad dressing. But what the Lord is talking about is refreshing streams, still water, like what you would see in a nearby area of Engedi. It's interesting. The Dead Sea is in the desert, but literally like 30 miles away, Engedi is this tropical looking area with a lot of vegetation and greenery and all kinds of different um, vegetation and plants. And you're like, how can this be so close to each other? One is like a tropical oasis and the other one's just the Dead Sea. And the Lord is saying, come and enjoy rest and be beside me like still waters. The shepherd satisfies also with restoration. David knows the Lord's grace in Psalm 23 verse 3a. It says here, he restores my soul. Sounds familiar, right? Last week, literally Psalm 19 verse 7, it says that the word of God converts the soul or restores the soul or revives the soul. It literally has the idea of bring back, bring back to what? Bring back to its original state when Adam and Eve's soul was alive to God. See, we are born in trespasses of sin. Our heart is one sense dead. But we see that the Lord himself revives the soul, awakens the soul, regenerates the soul, causes your soul in one sense to be born again, and then empowered by his grace. The shepherd satisfies his sheep by pointing them to paths of righteousness. David is grateful for the shepherd's leading and direction in his life. In Psalm 23, verse 3b, says here, he, light, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. What are paths of righteousness? This is right living according to God's word. It's to be directed safely by the shepherd. It's to be in obedience to Jesus. And also to please our Lord so that we would experience his grace and protection and to be a part of his flock. Today that would be as members in his local church. David doesn't, excuse me, not David. The shepherd does not lead his sheep. He does not lead us into sin, into disobedience, into indifference, into fussing, into complaining, into to foolishness. And David does all this to point us in his circle of blessing, in paths of righteousness, for his namesake, for God's namesake, for his glory, for his honor, for his renown. 
He wants us to enjoy the benefits of his truths, to live skillfully and righteously, that our lives will lift up his name and give him glory. So the Lord God invites us to entrust our lives to him as Savior and Lord, to embrace him as a satisfying shepherd, and then in the face of death and also our enemies, David is calling us and he's going to teach us how to embrace the satisfying Savior even when we face death and our enemies. So David shifts his attention from how great it is to be in a relationship with the Lord. And now he wants us to practically live this out and embrace the satisfying shepherd in the face of death. And so in Psalm 23 verse 4, it says here, David goes from directing speech about this great shepherd to a personal I statement. So even though, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this phraseology conveys a perilous, threatening environment. And so you might ask, you know, what does that mean? Well, just stop and ask yourself, have I faced death in the past? Or am I facing death even right now? Some of you or some of us may be literally fearful for our life. We think we are going to catch COVID and die. And so you might be in the shadow of death even right now. Maybe in the past you've experienced the shadow of death. In the future, you might experience the shadow of the death. But when you're in these shadows, how are you to respond? How are you to relate to the shepherd? And David speaks very clearly on this. And this is this good truth, good nourishment for our soul. David, I believe, faced the shadow of death many times. And we'll look at two times later on. But I want you to know that he trusted in the Lord. He trusted in his Savior. He had an abiding relationship with his shepherd. I believe he had a high view of God. To the degree when he faced death, he was able to say with all his heart in Psalm 23 verse 4b, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. So when David faced death, his response was a promise of God. And his response was to fear no evil. He looked fear in the face, face and looked at this fear with faith. And he had the faith that the Lord was with him. Because the Lord was with him, he was able to face death in a number of circumstances. And he can with you too. He goes on and says, your rod and your staff to comfort me. A shepherd uses a rod, which is the longer pole end, and then the staff is the crook. And these instruments are our means of training, of shepherding. And so... It implies that the Lord, as a shepherd, he, he's training us. He's grooming. He's forming Christ in our lives. And he wants us 
to, to not just be baby sheep. He wants us to grow. He doesn't want us to be baby Christians. He wants to, us to mature in faith. And so he uses the rod and he uses the crook for two purposes. For instruction. And sometimes that instruction requires the rod. And that means sometimes to the most severe degree, a shepherd would break the legs of a sheep to, to teach them a, a severe lesson. And other times the sheep may just need the staff for correction to bring them back into the fold. And so there's a time when David was younger and as he was maturing, he, he understood that the Lord was teaching him in such a way to have a relationship with him, to trust him, to fear no evil. I'm sure most of us are familiar with the true story and historical account of David and God's people and against or in relationship to the Philistines and Goliath. They were battling for, for many days and many months. And it got to a point where, you guys know the story, Goliath comes out and challenges God's people and, and invites one person to fight him one and one All the people of Israel were scared because Goliath was a big soldier. It says he was nearly 10 foot tall. Tall. He was intimidating. He was big. He had killed many people over. No one wanted to fight him. No one wanted to fight this champion warrior who is mean. David heard of this story. With all his peers, his brothers, and the Israel army all scared and, and too afraid to fight Goliath. David was a man who was abiding and a satisfying shepherd. And he knew of the Lord's faithfulness in his life. And so he got a few stones at a stream. And he got his slingshot. And he stepped out with nothing but a slingshot and a few stones. And in his mind and heart, he trusted the Lord and said, I will fear no evil. I will face my fear with faith, with trust in the Lord, that the Lord was with him. And so it was by faith David stepped out. It was by faith that as they faced off one on one, David trusted the Lord and he put a rock in his sling and he slung that rock and the rock went flying in the sky, through the air, and hit Goliath smack in the forehead with one rock knocked out Goliath and killed him. David was able to face his fears with faith because he embraced the satisfying shepherd. I want you to see that he did not flee. He did not fret. He didn't lose it, but he looked at his fears dead in the eye. And what did he do? He faced his fears with faith. So my question for you and I, what are the fears in our life, whether they're big or small? Maybe you're fearful to talk to someone. Maybe you're fearful to do the right thing. Maybe you have bigger fears about fill in the blank. How are you going to face these fears? 
Are you going to do it so on your own, by yourself, and probably cower? Or are you going to do so with our great shepherd? I know facing fears with faith has a lot of different looks. It can make it could look one way for somebody and look another way for someone else. But the key is that you're facing your fears. Um, it says in this passage, in the context, David is speaking that he will function in such a way that even when he walks through the valley of death, I think many times we could be fearful of our life. And I just wanted to just try to take what David is learning from the Lord. The rod and the staff, they're there to mature us, that we would grow in our faith. And so we, there's a sense that we need to grow from milk to meat and deepen our faith. But as I think of milk and meat, it made me think of death. When we go shopping, how do we determine what type of milk or meat we're going to buy? Many times, we, we, we know what brand we want and the type of milk we like. But the next thing we do is we look at what? The expiration date of the meat and of the milk. Or else what? We'll just either throw out the meat or, or pour out the milk. So I want you to think really hard with me as we think of how to embrace the satisfying shepherd in the face of death. Let me ask you this question. From God's perspective, does he, did he already know our birth date before we were even born? What is your answer? Yes or no? He knew our birth date because he is God. Does he also know our expiration date, the date when we will die? My answer would be he does know because the Lord is sovereign and he knows all things. So he knows the date we will die. So let's take this a step forward. How much does our circumstance we find ourselves determine if we are going to die? Some, a little bit, or a lot? Or does God himself determine straight up 100% when we will die? I'm pushing our theology and our growth and our maturity. So, let's take it on a little further. So, if you happen to be a personality that's always concerned or less spiritual, you're just always worried. And so, you live your life this way with a lot of caution. Or, on the other hand, here's a risk taker who is willing to take risks for his life or even... He's maybe more than a risk taker. He, he is foolish. And so this is the personality or attitude or mindset. Does the way one live actually affect their death date? Let me beg it, let's tease it out a little bit more. If you stay at home or not, will that affect the day you die? If you go to war or you dodge the draft, will that affect the day you die? Or if you live in the hood where there's gangs and sometimes there's guns um, that go off. Tracy and I lived in the hood of Oakland for about seven or eight years, Oakland, Richmond area. And yes, we saw people shoot guns. We saw dead people on our street. We saw bullets in our neighbor's homes. Is it safer there? 
or in the suburbs? Is it safer on the battlefield or in a tiny rural town? Doesn't matter where you live as it relates to when you will die. I think when you will die has already been determined because our God is sovereign. This is intense theology and I want you to think long and hard about it. Let's move on. David shifts from impending death to the presence of his enemies in Psalm 23 verse 5, which says some more deep and profound stuff. I was like, what does this mean? And as I studied, I'm like, whoa, this is cool stuff. David says this. As he relates to God, a shepherd God, in the presence of his enemy, he says that you will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. So when we find ourselves in the presence of our enemy, it says the Lord will provide a table for me for you and you will anoint my head with oil so that my cup will overfloweth what's going on here why is the lord talking about a table anointing and a cup when we're in the presence of his enemy i want you to see that the lord is doing a transformative work in the lives of his sheep for divine purpose listen carefully Augustine capsulizes this really well. He says, Thou hast prepared a table in my sight, that I should no more, no more be fed as a babe with milk, but being older should take meat, strengthened against them that trouble me. So the Lord prepares a banquet table for us that he wants to feed us and nourish us and mature us, that we would take on meat, that we would not just fret and be in fear in the, in the face of trouble and our enemies, but that we would be strengthened with divine meat and nourishment from God himself so that we could face our troubles. That's, that's maturity. That's Christian growth. If you've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years, and you're still fretting over all everything and every little thing, you might be an adult looking, but you're functioning like a baby. A baby Christian. And I think sometimes we don't even get out of our crib. We're still crawling. Still drinking that milk. Going on. It says, Thou hast fattened my head with oil. That has gladdened my mind with spiritual joy, Augustine says. What's going on here is that when God nourishes us and nourishes our soul, it produces divine joy and gladness in our heart. So in the midst of misery and hardship and our enemies and even death, he nourishes us. He grants us oil the power of his Holy Spirit, that we can experience joy and gladness. It goes on here. And thy imbriating cup. That's an amazing word. How excellent it is. And thy cup yielding forgetfulness. 
of your formal, former vain delights. So what the cup does is you drink God's cup. You drink of Him. You enjoy Him. You love Him. You delight in Him all the more. And as you do that, you forget all the other things you should drink on. The things of this world, the pleasure of this world, the fame of this world, the popularity and the power of this world. And then you look to the Lord's cup and you're like, wow, you have tasted and you know it's good. In fact, Augustine says how excellent it is. And so what God is doing is he's working in you to nourish from him, to, to take in from him. And that it would produce a gladness, a joy, a gospel-centered life. Or if I use our mission, that our lives are truly rooted in the gospel. That we don't fear. I think many of our decisions are based off fear instead of faith. Think long and hard about that. We fear circumstances and we don't fear the Lord the way he wants us to and to walk by faith. I believe that the Lord God wants to downpour his divine grace and blessing and love and power and truth and so much more in our lives that our cup overflows to the degree that we get beyond ourselves, that we care and love for each other as a local church. And then outside of that, we would reach out to others in love into the city. And then beyond that, that we would face our very death for the sake of the gospel. That we would face our enemies without shrieking back. That we would continue to walk by faith. There are some reasons why our cup may not be overflowing. Maybe your spiritual arteries are clogged with bitterness or unforgiveness or sin or laziness, or many other things that sins that could clog your spiritual arteries. But when you are fed, anointed, oiled, and overflowing, this is how God works in your life. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's graphic, so it's hilarious, but it's so real to see how God has taken David, a man who was a boy, and enjoyed the favor of the Lord then, a man who has sinned, committed adultery, lusted, murder, lied. And then the Lord brings him to a point where he has a deep conviction that drives him. He has a gospel-centered life that drives him in an intense situation. And this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 4. 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 7. When Saul returned from Following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. I just mentioned that. So he's in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of of the wild goat rocks. So I want you to know, Saul's a little bit crazy. He's king at this time, and he can't stand David. David's never done anything wrong to him, but he's going after him. He's chasing him through the wilderness, and he wants to kill him. And he brings 3,000 men to support him. 
verse 3. Then he came to the sheepfolds by the ways, where there was a cave, and Saul, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. Do you know what that means? Saul went into a cave to either take a pee or a poop, or maybe both. But he went there to relieve himself. This is so funny. And at that moment, it says in the scriptures, Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost of the cave, a little further back, but they were right there near Saul. And the men of David said to him, Here is a day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. So David had an opportunity to kick him, to take a sword and kill him on the spot as he relieved himself. But I believe the Lord was working in such a way that all this we saw in the previous verse is true. The Lord prepared a table, anointed him with oil, and the cup is overflowing. God is working in David in a mighty way. And so this is how he responds. Then David arose and he brings his sword and instead of stabbing him, he stealthily cuts a corner of Saul's robe, a small little piece. Verse 5, and afterward, David, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do anything to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 7, so David persuaded his men with these words and did, not per, and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. And he didn't even know what happened. This is the power of God working in and through sheep, in and through his children, in and through disciples. As this, God's cup overflows in us, it affects our attitude, our actions, our thoughts, and how we live out our faith. How do we walk by faith? How we walk by faith and not by sight. How we trust Him, even when it doesn't make sense humanly, we trust Him because He is our satisfying shepherd. Lastly, as David, I believe, is toward the end of his life, this is his perspective to enjoy the satisfying shepherd eternally. In verse 6, he says, Surely, okay, I want to say that David is talking to some girl, no, named Shirley here, but no, it's not that Shirley. He's just using an adverb here and saying, Surely, good and mercy follows me all the days of my life. So as David looks at his life, he sees the goodness of God 
and the mercy of God in his life. He knows he deserved more harsher judgment and punishment in his life, but he received mercy over and over. And he knows in the future that this will be a reality, that he says this, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He knows eternally he'll be satisfied in the house of the Lord forever and ever. David is confident of his future because he what? Knew and experienced the Lord's work in him and a satisfying relationship of the shepherd in this life. So he knew without a doubt that his future was secure. And he longed for this future day to go home and experience dwelling in the house of the Lord forever and ever. And so let's summarize. In this passage in Psalm 23, God invites us and calls us to entrust our very lives to the satisfying shepherd. And then two, to embrace the satisfying shepherd when we face our death and our enemies. And then three, to enjoy the satisfying shepherd eternally. May this be your hope. May this be our future. So three applications that flow straight from this passage. The first one would be to surrender your life to the satisfying Savior. I am blown away that the Lord would grant my daughter the miracle of salvation. We pray that more would do this, that you would do this. Your friends, your relatives, your co-workers would experience the grace of God and that they would hear and see about the gospel through your lives. May he give you eyes to see the needs out there. May he give you a heart to speak up and to share of the good news of God, the gospel to others. And if you want to come to Christ now, you can do so now by surrendering your life to Christ alone. Two, fight fear with faith. The Lord wants to sustain you in the most deep way. So you don't need to flee. So you don't need to fret. But that you can walk by faith, trusting in him. Lastly, cling to the promise that one day you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to know if you're a believer, your future is secured. It is more secure than your retirement plan, the bank, or whatever. A lot of these things have been shaken up even in the last couple months. But your future, your eternity is set that one day you will dwell in the house of the Lord. And so, in view of the fact that two things are true, your expiration date is set, and your future is secured, how might that impact the way you live here and now? When you face hardships, maybe famine, maybe war, maybe sickness, maybe divine accidents, maybe another pandemic, COVID at this time, and maybe even World War III one day, or something else, whether big or small. God wants you to do so with an eternal perspective. Dear brothers and sisters, we're called to this amazing journey with a satisfying shepherd. Let's walk together. Let's journey together as a community, as families, as individuals. I encourage you to be in a discipleship relationship, to be in a growth group, to be walking and growing in community. 
that we would reflect the gospel all the more as what? We are rooted in the gospel. If you're rooted, you will face your enemies. You will face death head on, just like how David experienced God's grooming and training of him through life circumstances, through the Spirit of God, and through the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for taking care of us as our satisfying shepherd. We pray until we're able to meet again that we would walk with you, that we would walk with you with others virtually, that we would even meet together now as the government says it's okay to meet in groups of 10 inside and 25 outside. In Jesus' name we pray. Dear brothers and sisters, be rooted in the gospel. You are sent. See the needs of others. Have a heart for others and engage the cities of the RTP. Till next time, you are loved. Farewell. <laughs>